I'm your host, Rabbi Linda Schreiner Khan, and welcome to Tehillah Talks, where teens engage in honest conversation with their rabbi about what it means to be Jewish in the world today. Welcome to Tehillah Talks. And this afternoon, we are welcoming Bernie, Roma, and Gideon for the first time in a long time. I hope he becomes a regular uh, in this conversation. So how's everybody doing today? That's my first question. Just how are you? As uh, we're on the eve of uh, Halloween as we record this. And uh, just checking in. Bernie, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm uh, currently a senior in high school and quite close to the November 1st early, you know, early um, action deadline. So I've had a lot going on, but I'm, <laughs> I'm surviving. I'm getting through it. Roma? Um, I'm doing well. <laughs> and Gideon, how are you? Other than lots of homework? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. All right. A lot of, so this, my sense is a lot of work on everybody's plate, but okay. So we are in the beginning of the New Year's cycle. We've started reading the Torah once more, and we're back at the story of Noah, the ark, the animals, the rainbow, and uh, the divine promise never to destroy the world again. However, what keeps coming back over and over and over again in that story is the way that Noah is described at the beginning of, of, of the section. He's described as a righteous man in his time. The Hasidic tradition says he was a tzaddik impelt, meaning he was a righteous person wearing a fur coat. When I say that to you, what comes to mind? A good man wearing a fur coat, given what you know about the Noah story. Bernie. Wow, I have, I have no idea. I mean, maybe... Maybe it could have something to do with like wealth, like having having the means to have a fur coat. <laughs> I really well, but, no well, well, let me let me expand upon a little bit further. That if you're wearing a fur coat, who are you taking care of in terms of uh, guarding yourself against the cold? Myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so the Hasidic tradition says he was a man who, yes, he built the ark. Yes, he followed instructions. But beyond his family, were there any other humans on that ark? Well, himself, but no. otherwise, no. No. <laughs> so, which leads me to this question, and it's uh, it's one that we, as a tradition, uh, address. What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a good person? And I don't know, there's no right or wrong here. It's just, what do you think? So, Gideon, what do you think makes a good person? I would say someone who kind of takes care of everybody while also being able to take care of themselves. Okay. Roma? Someone who's respectful and makes sure to not just focus on themselves, but to focus on others and how they're doing. Bernie? Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of similar, but like having having everyone's best interests in mind and every everyone and everything. So the thing that we, we're given in this story is somebody who is seen as being good in a limited fashion. Do we know such people who are within their small world, kind, welcoming, but don't really go beyond their circle? Do any of you know such people? 
I think most people, that's kind of where they're at. I mean, I'd, I'd say like for myself, like I try to be good to people. I try not to hurt people, but it is a lot harder to take that extra step to go outside. I mean, like in terms of just outside political involvement or, or things like that, I always feel like I do so little and I work, you know, here with our community, but outside of that, I really don't do that much. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. It's it's not easy, but it's not so hard to be kind to the people around you, but it is a lot harder to go beyond and and you know, make an impact for many, many, many more people. Roma? What was the question? The original question was, do you, you know, the most of the people you know are within that that comfort circle that, that Bernie was just describing. You can just, it doesn't, don't worry about the question, just keep going from where he left off. Do you agree with what he said? Do you think it's hard to get out of your comfort zone? Definitely, especially like it's hard when you're with new individuals and like, I'd say I'm more of like a shy person when I meet people. So I'm like more reserved and I still like keep that like respect level throughout though, even as I get more comfortable with them. Gideon? It's, it's kind of just you're compassionate to some of the people around you and you mostly just kind of stay nice to your friends. There's not a lot to do there. So although you both, you all three of you described how would you define a good person? You were very expansive in that definition. And then when I say, okay, you know, what does that really look like? It's much harder. It's much harder. So the question also is, you know, should we give Noah a bad rap for not, you know, he, he followed instructions. He was building this massive thing and nobody said anything. I mean, what was what's so terrible about that? He gathered all these animals. People could have said something while this was starting and they didn't. So, you know, that's us, right? We live in our own tight circles and getting out of that tight circle is really hard. So he was righteous in his time. Is it enough to be that kind of good person? Is that enough? Is that what the world is asking of us? Is that what our tradition is asking of us? I think that's, there's always, mm, I think in that story, there isn't more being asked of you because Noah gets these instructions. Does it, does God actually say what's going to happen in the story or does? Yeah, yeah, he said, well, no, he doesn't quite explain it, but it's. We do know that the end of the story, just to give you the coda of it, the end of the story, after they've landed on, you know, they've landed, God promises with the rainbow never to destroy the world again. Noah goes and he plants a vineyard. And one of the, the last scenes of his story are him being naked and drunk in his tent and one brother squealing on the, you know, to his other two brothers saying, ha ha, dad's so drunk. He's naked in the tent. And the other brothers go and back into the tent and so that they don't see their father's nakedness and cover him up. Hmm. And we might say that he's su- suffering from some kind of PTSD or some kind of trauma because he didn't do anything. He had an opportunity to speak up and he didn't do it. And he saw the world collapse around him. That's another way of understanding this story. So I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying to the three of you, my goodness, I'm not saying go out there and be a rabble rouser and change the world. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying 
like my question is more about for all of us, how do we step out of our comfort zone so that we don't end up berating ourselves at the rest of at the end of our lives or toward or maybe the middle of our lives saying, I should have, I could have, I would have. What does that take to get out of that place of comfort? Gideon. I'd say it kind of takes a lot to get out of a comfort zone. Like from personal experience, it's it's like when you try to get out of that comfort zone, it's difficult because you're so used to staying there with certain people who are also in that comfort zone. When you move out of it, it's kind of difficult because you have to figure out how what you're going to do there. And then, so let me follow up with you. Is it something that's easier if you find allies? Not always. Because you might find allies, but it's not like they're, you're going to get even more comfortable with them because like, like you can have an ally, but that does not mean you're super close to them. That just means you have an ally, like someone you could sometimes rely on or like sometimes like have business with. But like other than that, there's nothing else you can do. So what do you all think about the, the getting past the comfort zone? Bernie? It's it's a hard question that you're asking. I think in in this story, it's pretty clear that literally watching the entire world be destroyed and every other human being besides your family and every other animal besides two of every animal, (laughs) like watching all of those be killed and not doing anything about that. I don't know. It's hard to see that as like a righteous act, even if if we're told that Noah is a a righteous man in his time. And then just mm, trying to apply that to the real world where maybe (laughs) you're not, you know, being told by God to save you and your family and allow everyone else to die. But maybe, maybe like climate change, you could see as, um, you know, the world is going towards a place of struggle. What is our response? Is our responsibility to, you know, maybe just try to save ourselves? Is our responsibility to try to reach out farther? I'd say we, we definitely, I think if everyone, if everyone really was, um, more considerate and more more careful with their actions, there wouldn't be as much of a need for that going out beyond and and that difficult work. But unfortunately, that's just not where we are. So I think just for in terms of this example I'm giving, for the people, you know, who I guess are or are receiving these instructions, maybe <laughs> you could put it like that, there is a responsibility to go out and and act outside of just your own group because it is so global and affects everyone. But I don't know. It's a really hard question. It's a very hard question. I'm, do I ever come up with easy questions? This is, <laughs> this is a particularly difficult one. Roma, you were going to say something. I think it is hard to step out of the like comfortable zone that you can be in. But I think like the knowledge of maybe what your actions or if you're helping, like the positive impact that they can have, I think that can drive you to maybe be able to make a change. So knowing that your behavior has the capacity to have an impact can be a motivator. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's true for all of us. It's just, it's sometimes it's hard. I will share with you, I'm not a demonstrator. It's just not my favorite place to be. I mean, I've spoken at rallies and stuff like that, but it's not my go-to. I rather work behind the scenes. That's more what I'm interested in. Because of who I am, and although you may not think it, I'm basically a shy person. So, Roma, I can relate to that. Um, It's taken me a long time to get past that. But 
within the confines of who we are as, as people, we have some maneuverability. Bernie, you're unmuted, so I thought you might want to say something. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> I didn't have anything in particular. Okay. With this notion of uh, he was a righteous man in his time, it was just the, the society was just fallen apart is what we're given, information we're given. And we're living in a time where the society has fallen apart around us, where people, right, we've just had this terrible example of what happened to Nancy Pelosi's husband, of somebody breaking and entering into the home and looking to do her harm in particular and harming him. And it comes from a place of believing bad things. So in a world where we are believing the worst of one another, what can we do to counteract that? I don't know if any of you are on Twitter. I don't know what social media you use, but let me ask that question. Are any of you on any kind of social media right now? Bernie, are you on social media? Yeah, I mean, yeah, just as, enough to be in touch with my friends and everything like that, not really beyond that. Roma? I'm the same as Bernie, to be in touch with friends, but also, like, I do see news and stuff on the platforms that I do use. And Gideon? I'd say I don't even really use social media to contact friends, per se. I barely even use it. It's just kind of there for me. I just kind of leave it there. Which is interesting, right? Because people who are just a tad older than you are in it fairly heavily. And it functions as a major influencer in society. And so we're in a world where being good goes beyond beyond our people we know. When you're texting, you know, I send you guys text messages. When you're texting, you don't necessarily edit what you write as carefully as when you write an email. And when you write a letter, it's definitely more, it's, the editing is more complete than when you're writing an email. There are levels of that. And people dash things off and they make mistakes. We all do. And they can lead to heated interactions. That's a piece of also of this being, you know, I think you're, you're off. We sort of started the conversation thinking very concretely about the people we know in our lives and the people we interact with in school and those social circles or community circles that we are involved in. But it's also... And and from what you've said, it's not what you all are doing, but for people who, as I said, who are just a tad older than you, they may respond to something online just in a moment. It's like, oh, I'm really, I'm really upset about this and I'm going to write something. And they don't even begin to think that it could have any impact. So part of the responsibility piece of this, I think, has to do with thinking before we act. Is that something that we that we're trained to do. I don't know that I was necessarily trained to do it for the world in which I'm currently living. I'll frame it that way. And do you feel like you're being trained to think before you act, think before you speak, or think before you write? (laughs) Kind of. Like, for me, I sometimes I think before I say something, other times I don't. Sometimes I think if I send text or write anything, and other times I do not. Bernie, do you is that something you've worked on at all? In your, I think that's I don't, something... you're, you're not a hot headed person, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do tend to be pretty careful with that kind of thing. I think that's something in, in school that has been kind of drilled into us over the years. 
I don't know if that's like because of the school that I go to or if that's pretty ubiquitous, but I just wanted to to also bring that back to the the story that this is all grounded in in Noah. Like I doesn't seem like the story is really teaching you to to think before you act, right? It's not at least you could interpret it as Noah is thinking about the consequences of his actions and thinking about the consequences of not following God's instructions and is, you know, making a very conscious choice. Or you could take it as just he's following instructions and not thinking at all, which it seems, at least explicitly, that seems what the story is is saying. I mean, that's that's interesting to me. I think that that calls back to kind of how religions end up being formed in order to like keep people in order and how like now we can maybe interpret it a different way if we want to get a little bit different thing out of it. Well, I think it's interesting that the Hasidim are the ones who said, right? This is a, the Hasidic group who said, He's a tzaddik. He's a righteous man wearing a fur coat. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not, this is, we would consider that traditional Judaism. So I, I'm, I would argue that point of looking at him and saying, he's not a great exemplar. Mm. He's flawed. And that we look at these characters in the full light of their flaws and say, what do these flaws come to teach us? Right. That's pretty interesting to think that like that's the person we're all supposed to be descended from, like him and his family. Explains a lot. <laughs> but over and over and over and over again in our tradition, we're told God finally gets it. It's like God's learning in this whole interaction too. Mm-hmm. That these people, these humans, are hard to train. They're not, you know, they're not little, they're not dogs who we can train. I can train. They're, they have uh, independent will. They will do what they're going to do and they're going to mess up over and over and over and over and over again. And my job as a divinity in this interaction is to keep taking them back and to keep forgiving them. That's, if we look at it from a text perspective, that's what, we, what we've come to learn. But I want to go back to what we, we, you know, I sort of started this thread of, um, are we taught to be more careful? Roma, have you, you know, before you do something, do you think it through or does it, is the impulse the bigger piece of it at this point? And, I, and part of it is related to your age. So I'm not, I don't expect you to be as, you know, thoughtful and considered as somebody in their thirties who I hope is thinking things through a little bit more mm-hmm. carefully. So. I don't think it's necessarily something that like is taught. I think it's more something that you have to be able to have the self-control and to monitor what you do and what you say. And I think that we should be able to process and like know that like, and be able to prevent ourselves from saying something impulsively because like we should be able to think through what we're saying before we say it in order to like prevent from situations that could happen from that. But the the challenge that you all face is we're living in a, a world where impulse is is sort of okay. People who say things impulsively, destructive things, are by and large, Kanye is in some way an outlier. I'm going to say it that way. He's being, he is definitely being punished for his language and for what he, you know, for all of it. And I think it's interesting that he didn't get punished. We didn't have the backlash uh, when he, when he came out with that sweatshirt that said white lives matter which I thought was pretty amazing that nobody said anything then. The the voices were pretty quiet. But in general, I mean, there are people in our in who are 
very public figures who say things that are absolutely despicable. And nobody is really saying, wait a second, wait a second. That's not, that's destructive. That saying that out loud, you may think it, you may feel it. I'm not denying you that. But by saying it publicly, you are creating a destructive environment and they don't seem to care. And we're in a place now where that there's more and more of that happening. Not to get on my soapbox on this, but I guess I am a little bit. But so I, in some ways, the fact that you you all are not so heavily involved in uh, social media is a relief. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how true it is for your, for others in your age demographic, but that's, it's, it's comforting for me to hear that, I will say. But do you feel that, that there, that there's a greater people speaking, acting in ways that in other times before you were born, most likely it would have been shot down? Definitely, I would say. I mean, I obviously you can't be sure because we're talking about before <laughs> before we were born. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm saying that, yeah. But um, no, from, from what I hear from adults, from my parents, they're like, this this would not fly, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And yeah, it sucks because <laughs> it's like, how do you fight that? Because you, the, the impulse to, to fight it is to do the same thing, like send it right back. But that, you know, it's two wrongs not making a right, right? It just makes the environment even more destructive from both sides. So it's really, really hard because it's also... And like you're talking about social media and, and impulse and engagement, things like that. People are more engaged by things that are controversial or like exciting in some way. So the people that are, are you know, saying those things, getting away with it, they're also exciting people more and getting people more interested. So it's just a really hard thing to fight. I'll just give you one, one point here. I said, if you, I don't know what social media you're on, but whenever I get a story that comes across my transom, that somebody doing an act of kindness to somebody else, I like it. <laughs> I don't comment. I just like it because mm. I think that when people do random acts of kindness, it's important to acknowledge it. And that's a small way of getting out of your comfort zone. Mm. Very small way. So, you know, I, I began this whole conversation with you on, uh, you know, what makes a good person and, uh, and is it enough to be a good person? But if you were giving the the listeners a prescription of what we all should be doing, what would that prescription be? What would be our next steps? What can we do differently? There's a lot people could do differently. Like instead of commenting on everything, every single thing that happens, be it with yourself online, or just walking down the street, just keep it to yourself sometimes. Like just don't say anything. Don't go there. Roma? I think that things would be a lot easier if people sometimes just kept their thoughts to themselves. Because especially with social media involved now, when people share those ideas, they spread and then people comment and it keeps on, it like makes the issue worse. Whereas if they were to just stay silent and keep it to themselves, it would prevent a lot of more conflict. I'm Bernie. Bring yeah. it home. Definitely. I definitely agree with both of those. I would say we all do need to start within our private circles that we kind of started today off talking about. But once you feel good about, you know, your actions within that circle, just try expanding it a little bit, maybe. And once if everyone did that, we'd be in a really good place. <laughs> 
of course we won't. So we need to rely on some people to do it more than others. But yeah, just get things settled within your sphere. Start expanding it slowly um, towards people you don't know as well, to people that you don't know at all, and just kind of expand your impact that way. So to go back to that Hasidic quote about uh, the righteous person in the fur coat, that quote goes on to talk about how much better it would have been for that righteous person to build a fire that everybody could warm themselves around. Mm. I leave us with that thought about what are the warm hearth fires that we can build. And uh, thank you all so much for joining me today on Tehillah Talks. Thank you. Thank you. Be well, everybody. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Tehillah Talks. For more information about Tehillah, go to congregationtehillah.org. Tune in next time when our teens continue to reflect on issues of the day through a Jewish lens.